If I'm going to go ahead and tell you this morning, if you are one of those people that have a legitimate beef with somebody and you feel like you have the right to carry that grudge around, that bitterness, maybe some hurt feelings, then I'm going to invite you to go ahead and leave this morning while you can. Because it's hard for me to walk this morning because my toes have been stepped on all week long. And I promise you, though, if you stick it out and if you listen with an open mind, you will see something this morning. You will see Jesus' love for you. That love that will draw you to Him and also allow you to see others as Jesus sees you. Because you see, someone in here today, in this room, is in need of a little grace under pressure. And I've heard from many of you, and I agree myself, that our our recognition of the Advent services during our December worship time served to give us all a greater appreciation for the birth of Christ. Wasn't it great to see the families and the different generations and, and the devotional and all of these things that went in together to make this Christmas special? It was truly uh, special for me. It helped us to cut through a lot of the noise of Christmas and to focus on why He came and also how He came and for who He came. Yes, He came for the glory of God in need of God's children who needed a Savior. And so He is coming again. And we must be ready. And in preparation for his return, we must return to our journey through the book of John. So today we see two guys with good intentions. One of them has got really good intentions and the other one thinks they are. But honestly, he is just out to serve himself. And they are intercepted on a direct collision course. With Jesus. Specifically, we're going to look at Judas and Peter today. Two men who, who claim to be devoted to Jesus. And while under pressure, they caved. They caved under pressure in order to satisfy their own desires. For one, it was money. For the other, it was inclusion. It was, uh, they wanted a lack of, of tension and division in their life. So they folded like cheap stepladders and uh, maybe today we might be able to learn the lessons that Jesus taught each of these men. They may not have made good choices. And they may not have been great examples of faith. But even as bad examples, they served as good examples. And to kind of set the mood for that, I want to show you if we can get it to work is a, a little clip from a movie called The Passion of the Christ that kind of illustrates where we are this morning. In that moment, as we read the scriptures, I think it's important to see that that even in this great rendition of this, the truth is found in the scriptures this morning. And I want us to begin by seeing that pressure proved Judas's faith to be fake. Pressure proved Judas's faith to be fake. Let's read verses 1 through 9. It says, After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley. Now remember that, Kidron Valley, in just a moment. And also, 
he was with the disciples and they entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priest and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and even weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. And then he said, I am he. When Jesus said that, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there with him. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus says, I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one to those you have given me. In this passage, we see a few things. First of all, we see Judas, the betrayer. Boy, isn't that great for this great mess up of his life, the the culmination of his life. The thing that Judas is remembered for the most is his betrayal. If someone does you wrong, sometimes you will call them a Judas. Or, I mean, it has just been synonymous with this action that he has made. What a way to be designated in the Bible as the betrayer. But the thing is, Judas didn't start off that way. It's not like he, when Jesus called me, said, thank you for calling me Jesus because one day I'm going to betray you. That's not what he, what, what he was about. He had the best of intentions at the time. But the thing is, is that Judas did start his ministry with Jesus, but it started with a decision not to betray him, but to follow him. Well, Judas must have been thrilled to be called as one of the twelve disciples. I mean, not only was he called out among everybody to be part of the twelve, but what else was he called to be? The treasurer. So not only do you get to be in the inner circle of this fanatical great orator, this person that is causing so much ruckus that is going to be a one-day king that is going to have all of this power, and and he gets to be one of the twelve, and he also gets a title. A title. A position. And so, surely, he would be, Jesus would have been the mighty king of this new world order that they were talking about. It was more than he had ever hoped for, or more than he had ever dreamed. But here's a point I want you to see in Judas's life. The point is this. Following Jesus with the wrong motives, assures that you will miss all of the blessings he offers while seeking to meet your own. There is nothing in Scripture anywhere that designates Judas as a true believer. He had his location correct of his body, but the location of his heart was far away. Judas represents the world today that is out for themselves. He was so close to Jesus. Jesus gave him every opportunity to respond, but yet he never did. And we see here, as the scripture says, Jesus knew, or Judas knew Jesus' routine. 
Judas knew that Jesus and disciples would often pray. That that was their habit. What a great habit to have, right? And I ask you to, to notice in your scriptures, it says that they were at the Kidron Valley. Just to give you a little bit of perspective, in this valley, the waters there were known to be dusky, dirty, and dark. And the reason is, is because the runoff from all of the sacrifices in the temple would go to this, this stream and in this valley. That's where all the blood went. Isn't it amazing that in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the Kidron Valley, many scholars believe that near the end times, this is where most everybody's going to be raised from the dead from. You can see that in Genesis. But we see that the Kidron Valley is stained with the blood of temple sacrifices. Isn't it ironic that Hebrews 9.22 says, Without blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Well, also I told you that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there were olive trees there. The term Gethsemane actually means oil press. So I've got a picture for you here. This is a modern day picture of uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and now it's more of a, a tourist thing. But but that's okay. What they would do is in the olive trees there, they still grow olive trees there. They take those olives and they put them into presses. And they get that wonderful olive oil juice out of it. So, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on this night, we see indication of blood as a sacrifice and pressure. That Jesus was under intense pressure. So much so that he sweat drops of blood. Judas and all the disciples were under great pressure. But the Garden proved as a place of pressure... And that was truly for all who were inside. Folks, when you and I are under pressure, what we really believe is extracted. When we are are squeezed, we're like a sponge. Whatever is inside comes out. That's what pressure does. That is what daily life does to us. Daily life squeezes us. And whatever comes out is what is inside. And we will either have faith or we will have something that is fake and that betrays Jesus. I'm not saying that when that we are under pressure that we're going to all act like a Sunday school teacher. Okay? I'm not saying that at all. We all have hang-ups. We all have issues. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if our faith, faith is there, it will be shown to others and eventually to ourselves. But Jesus did not know Jesus. He did not know Jesus' heart, and he did not know Jesus' mission. How do you know that? Well, first of all, if you go back and you look at that passage, why did Judas feel like he needed to bring Roman centurions and temple police with him to apprehend Jesus? When in scriptures have you ever seen Jesus use force to protect himself? Never. He didn't understand Jesus. He didn't understand Jesus' meaning. Number two, they came at night. Folks, they didn't want to be seen. They didn't want all the people that believed in Jesus to cause a riot. And also, as you know, in the book of John, John uses the theme of dark and light a lot. So not only was it under night, but it symbolized the darkness of the sin that was at work in this plan. And they came with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons. 
But here, I want you to understand something. Jesus, in all of this, was in full control. No one took Jesus that night. Jesus willingly gave himself up. Jesus knew exactly what would happen. We see in scriptures where he talks in John 13 about this very moment. And we've heard about Judas's kiss. In John's account, the actual kiss is not recorded. You find that in Matthew chapter 26, verses 48 through 49. Again, it doesn't mean that there's an error, but it shows that Matthew's recount of this has a little bit more detail, a different perspective, but the same truth in both of these. It's not either or, it's putting them both together to get a 3D picture. Jesus could have at any time defended himself if that were God's plan. So here's the question. Here's the thing to make you go, hmm. Why did the arresting soldiers fall back to the ground when Jesus told them, I am he? Well, if you've been able to be at a Bible school once or twice in your life, you've probably heard this or you remember growing up in a church. If you haven't heard this, that's fine. If you're not a church person, that's fine too. But let me just tell you that when Moses was going to get the Israelites out of Egypt, when he was going to get God's people, Moses said, well, who do I tell Pharaoh that you are? Who do I say who sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent me. This is another one of those I am statements. Jesus is affirming his deity. He has just pulled out his name card and said, read this. I am God. I am he. And at that moment, whoosh, they all fell down. They could have taken a nuclear missile with them to try to trap Jesus. It wouldn't have done any good. Jesus showed them, you think you have power over me? Let me show you who has the power. With all of their torches and with all of their weapons, they were knocked on their backside. It meant nothing to him. I tell you what, it's uh, sometimes we get a little, as my grandmother would have said, too big for our britches. You ever heard that? Too big for our britches? You know, sometimes people think they know more than they think they do. And, and especially when it comes to God, I hear people all the time that will say, well, A, there is no God, or if there was God, he wouldn't allow all these things going on, or, or I'm not worried about what God wants. I want to do it like Frank Sinatra. I want to do it what? My way. I, as I was putting this together, I remembered of a tragic story. Some of you may have heard about it or, or know him, but... There's a, a little series called Star Trek. You ever heard of that? Yeah, it's been on TV a couple of times. But uh, they had just rebooted these new movies of Star Trek, and the actors were younger. It wasn't the original, and it wasn't another spinoff. It was actual Star Trek. And uh, the guy that, that drives the Star Trek, uh, the, the, the Star Trek, the guy that drives the USS Enterprise, his name is Chekhov. And so... Uh, the guy that played him, his name was Anton Yelchin, and he was at his home. He got out of his SUV to go get his mail or something. I don't, I don't know exactly how it went. I just know that for somehow the vehicle came out of gear and it started rolling backwards. So he did what anybody would instinctively do is he tried to get behind it and push against it to keep it from rolling. 
Well, he wasn't a very big person and a lot smaller than the SUV. And unfortunately, the SUV kept rolling backwards, pinned him between a wall and, and he passed away. And, and I don't say that to, to, to make a mockery of this. I, I hate that. And, and I pray for the family in that. But what an illustration of what man in his finite, limited strength tries to do in opposition to God. Folks, you can spend your entire life, every penny, in every ounce of strength fighting God. But in the end... He will always win. Like these soldiers found out, is that in the end, we have no power over Jesus Christ, whether we think we do or not. So if you're pushing against God, I would encourage you to quit before you get run over. Do not be too guilty. To understand that there is a force greater than yourself that is at work in this world. Judas chose to oppose the power of Jesus and he paid the price of that decision. But the spirit of Judas is still alive today. Judas failed under pressure because of his faith. It was never really faith at all. Judas did not have faith. What did he have? Self-ambition. And opportunity. Self-ambition and opportunity. We have to be very careful that we don't make Christianity all about what we can get out of it. Christianity is not what we get out of it, but what we give back to Him. Judas never understood that. Billy Graham talks about Judas and he says, The story of Judas is one of the most tragic in Scripture. He had been with the Lord almost since the beginning of his ministry. He had seen Jesus perform miracles and heard his teaching. And yet in his heart, he was not a believer. May this not be true of you or anyone reading this column. Instead, make sure your salvation is intact by humbling, accepting Jesus Christ. Well, that's Judas. We see that under pressure, it was proven that his faith was fake. And now we come to the second example of Peter's faith. Pressure proved Peter's faith to be, quote unquote, in process. In process. Let's read verses 10 through 12. 10 through 12 says, Then Simon Peter drew a sword, slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into the sheath, his sheath. Shall I not drink from this cup of suffering the Father has given me? Just as Judas and those guards misunderstood Jesus, Peter had the same problem. Why do you say that? Look, I'm not throwing Peter under the bus, but he's one of those guys that did something, then he thought about it. Very impulsive. And so he just saw Jesus knock everybody on their keisters. Right? So why does he need Peter to pull out a sword and defend him? Again, he was impulsive, but he thought that his power 
could do something. Peter's sword. You know what Peter drawing the sword represents? It represents us acting in our will rather than yielding to God's. Some of you, God wants to do something in your life, but you are too busy swinging your own sword. We have to listen. We have to obey. And we have to understand that it's not about our might, but it is about His. Peter was fighting the wrong enemy. Peter was with the wrong motives. Peter's actions resulted in the wrong results. If everything you do messes up on you, you might want to consider what you're doing. Kind of like that person that says they have no friends and everybody's mean to them. And all of their friends talk about people. And they go from relationship to relationship to relationship. After about the second or third one, there might be a common factor. Folks, we need to quit worrying about fixing everybody else and work on ourselves. And then we see Peter's first denial in verses 15 through 18. Verses 15 through 18 say, Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of his disciples, That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter into the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. So in other words, it's kind of like the old Wally World quote. Sorry, the park's closed. The moose should have told you. Peter could not go into the high priest's lair. But this other disciple, we don't know exactly who it was, but one of the disciples was allowed to. So Peter was left on the fringe outside. And while he was out there, what happened? It says, but Jesus said to Peter, excuse me, not, not, that's, that's the wrong verse. As we go back to verses 15 through 18, it says, that, that other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside of the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of the disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants, the guards, had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. So here they are by the fire. This, this servant girl looks up, up to him and says, Hey, aren't you with Jesus? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-uh. And then, not only is that bad, it happens another time. On his second denial, first of all, he should have left that situation if he wasn't going to be effective. But he stays. So the second and third question actually Malchus's relatives. They had seen him in the garden. They had heard about what happened. And they said, are you that guy? Are you with Jesus? And he said, no, a second time. And then he said, no, a third time to the point to where he was adamant about the fact that I don't know that man. And then all of a sudden, the rooster crowed, just like Jesus had said. The same one, the Peter, the, the same one that Jesus later calls the rock that he builds his church on. And, that, and before that, Jesus had told him, look, dude, you're going to deny me three times. Your talk is big, but I know you and I know what's going to happen. And so here we go. We have a faith that has failed him. So what's important is why did Peter fail? Number one. He argued with Jesus. 
He argued with Jesus about not denying him, even when Jesus said he would do it that very night. The second reason he failed is because Peter slept in the Garden of Gethsemane rather than praying for the temptation he was about to endure. You remember that? Before Jesus was arrested, he told the disciples, look, watch and pray. But they fell asleep. Number three, rather than removing himself from compromising situations after the first question, he stayed. Folks, if you have a sin or temptation that is compromising your faith and testimony for Christ, you must leave it. You must leave it because it is killing your faith. If you have a sin or a temptation that is compromising your faith and testimony for Christ, you must leave it because it is killing your faith. So Jesus was with Peter in his process of faith. Remember, Peter was failing, but he did not fail. You in here have failed Jesus time and time again. You, you have failed Jesus, but you have not failed. I have failed Jesus time and time again, but I have not failed because of His grace. And so we see that, that Jesus restored Peter for each of the three times that he denied him. And then also, Peter would go on to be an integral part of starting the first church. Folks, he preached a sermon and 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost when we received the Holy Spirit on this earth. So, Jesus will do for you the same that he did for Peter. What is that? Number one, Jesus protects you from yourself. Jesus' grace protects you from yourself. Number two, Jesus restores you after your mistakes. I think it is amazing. As you see, the last thing Jesus did before he ascended to heaven was to get his relationship right with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, you just asked me that. You know I do. Feed my sheep. Third time. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. He restored him for each one. And he will restore you. And then the third thing. Jesus will empower you to do greater things while sharing his gospel story. Quite honestly, the reason that many of you have not grown in your faith is because you decide to be silent rather than bold in your witness for Christ. It doesn't mean that you have to turn into a fanatic, but it does mean that when people ask for a reason for your hope, you are prepared to give them a gospel answer. This is not the K&W cafeteria here. This is not Mama Penn's. When you come into church, it is not for you and I to look at the menu and decide what we want. This is a warehouse. This is a place where forklifts should be going back and forth and product should be going in and out to where we are working to share the gospel with this community, with this region, and with this world. It's not about what we get. It's about what we do. 
That is our mission. That is our gospel. But Peter's faith had not failed. It was just processing. It was just processing. <laughs> uh, our friend Daryl, we were staying with him a couple of days, and he's very active in a youth group. And so he had some kids over to his house, and his mom made some brownies to give the kids. And so he was telling us about it. He said, man, those kids will eat anything. Look, I've, you have children. You know, if it's halfway cooked and good, they'll eat it, right? So they served. he served his mom's brownies, and she hadn't put it in the oven long enough. So it was still doughy. Still doughy, still mushy. Not not a crisp brownie, but, but kind of like cookie batter, you know? And she said the kids absolutely loved it. It was delicious. Like, Can we have some more? Because it was still processed. It wasn't fully baked. Folks, let me tell you something. You think you have failed. You think that you are beyond Jesus' love. But my friend, you are just in the process. And when God looks at you, he sees somebody that is very good. And here's the thing, like I told our Wednesday night crew. If God is working on you in a situation, that means he has his hands on you. And there is no other better place to be than in the hands of our loving God and our Creator. So, if you're in the process, don't get frustrated. It means that being baked into what God wants to be, wants us to be, is what's happening. Also, others will benefit from your growth. Let me ask you this. Have your struggles as a believer in your faith helped others at some time? Has something that you struggled with in the past, or maybe even currently, helped others? And then the, the follow-up question to that would be, has the struggles of somebody else helped yours? And I would say probably to the answer of both of those questions is yes. So if you're in the process, do not let go. Do not get frustrated, and do not try to do it in your own strength. Because having a faith that is in process... Is not a bad thing. So, under pressure, Judas failed. But under pressure, Peter received Jesus' restoration and forgiveness. And he went on to serve Jesus. So, folks, being around Jesus and those who follow him is no guarantee that you are his disciple. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus could come back and some churches will still be able to have a regular attendance Sunday. The hardest person to reach is not the evil person on the street corner or the person back in, in, the, in the corner of an old dive or bar or, or somebody that has been hostile to God. The hardest person to reach is the believer or actually the non-believer that sits in a pew week after week after week saying to themselves that I am saved because I prayed a prayer when I was young, but their life produces no fruit. That is the hardest person to reach. You cannot reach someone who thinks they had already attained what you're offering. Let's be humble. Let's be honest. 
Let's don't be Judas and fool ourselves into thinking that just because we are around Christian people, we know some Christian music, we know some hymns, we know a few Bible passages, and we act like a good person most of the time that we're going to see heaven. That is no guarantee. The only guarantee to know that you are going to be in the heaven is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ where you say, forgive me of my sins, come into my life. Make me a new person and help me to live for you. Help me to bear fruit. Give proof of what you've done on the inside of my life. That is what he calls us to do. He calls us to share the gospel. He calls us to be about missions. He calls us to take care of this world that he's put us in. He has called us to have a faith that is in process, not one that is fake. So this morning, let me ask you, are you Judas? Or are you Peter? Is your faith fake? Or are you in process? That's only a question you can answer. In just a moment, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. And we cannot take the Lord's Supper in an unclean status. Jesus said plainly that if we take the Lord's Supper and we have sin in our life and a problem with our brother or sister, that we ought to not take it because we will bring sin upon ourselves by taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So I'm going to give you this, this opportunity. We're going to play a quick invitation. And if you're not sure about your salvation, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt on this first Sunday in January that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You're not perfect, but you are in process. I'm going to give you the opportunity. Don't wait for me to beg. Don't wait for the invitation to be drawn out. This is your moment. It's going to be one verse. And then we're going to do our, our Lord's Supper. But if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, today, this moment, this time is an opportunity. Would you respond? Please stand.